Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Good Humans Podcast with me, Cooper Chapman, chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. What's going on, you good humans? Welcome to guest episode number 97 of Good Humans Podcast with Jeffrey Morgan. This is a really, really fun episode. Can't wait for you to check it out. Big thank you to our sponsors, Drink a Rapper, for always supporting this podcast, the Brain Performance Drink, New Zealand Neuroberry, tastes like black currant juice. It's absolutely delicious, all natural. A lot of great science that goes into this stuff. Clinical studies, over $5 million worth of research. It proves that this product works. And yeah, short-term brain performance, long-term brain health, a bunch of epic little ingredients that go with it, pine bark extracts and L-theanine, as well as New Zealand Neuroberry. They've been so kind to give us a 25% off discount code. I know Jeffrey um, loves this stuff, actually. He's been hitting me up. He's got some more. He's actually purchased a bunch himself because he loved it so much after this episode. If you use the code GOODHUMAN, you get a massive 25% off their website, drinkarepa.com. You can find that in the show notes. Also, if you want to be a legend, do me a favor, head over to thegoodhumanfactory.com and check out our new merch range, the Change Your World merch. It's all about giving you guys something to wear and be proud of, to be like, you know what? I want to support my community. I want to make the people around me feel good. And that's what this merch is all about. The simple messaging, like be kind to your mind. What are you grateful for? Is there so people start conversations when they walk past you that are positive, that make your world a little bit better of a place? So once again, if you head over to thegoodhumanfactory.com, use the code PODCAST, you get a massive 25% off. I've invested so much time and energy into this merch range. I know you guys are massive supporters of this podcast, and it would mean the world to me if you could go check out the merch, wear it proudly, and yeah, tag us on your socials. I love you all. Okay, Jeffrey, fire out this episode. Interesting. Interesting is probably the best way to put it. So Jeff Morgan is a convicted bank robber. He's been in prison for for 18 years of his life, but hopefully you can listen to this episode with a bit of an open mind and a curious mind because after the life that he's living now is so amazing and helping so many people, but after hearing his upbringing, it was basically, yeah, it made so much sense why he went down the path he did. He was just looking for survival. Growing up in uh, Redfern down in Sydney, being involved in obviously some heavy, heavy stuff. He went to prison when he was 18. He ended up out of prison um, a few months later, back into prison, ended up in prison for a big stint through his 20s and also through his 30s. Uh, Yeah, robbing banks just to survive. He has some incredible stories, which are pretty wild. And then, yeah, he really turned his life around Uh, in his late 30s, has been on a really straight, narrow path, really trying to help people, trying to learn from his story and just yeah, heal from his past and bring it into his future with positivity and helping people the rest of the way. So I love this chat. I love getting to know Jeff. He's a bloody legend. I'm looking forward to hopefully continuing to do some stuff with him in the future. So let's jump straight into the podcast. Welcome to Good Humans Podcast. Jeff Morgs Morg. How you going, mate? Good. Champion. Good. Morgs Morg. That was so wrong. <laughs> Jeff Morgan. I got it completely wrong. I just asked you. Uh, mate, where to start? Morgs is always good. I um, played sport all my life. So a lot of uh, people I hung around called me Morgs. It's just easier. Mate, well, thank you for being here in my little bedroom slash podcast studio. You've got a 
very, very interesting story. And your PR lady sent me a message, shared about your story and was like, uh, Jeff would love to jump on the pod. And I was like, mate, let's do it. I had um, another guy on a few months back, Clint Kimmins, who was a great friend of mine who spent some time in prison and his story was phenomenal. I absolutely loved hearing his life turn around and yeah, we're going to hear probably a bit different but also some similar parts to your story so absolutely yeah mate we'll listen to some of your podcasts so i hadn't listened to clint's but um i don't know that i'd love to hear it because it does shape your life and it does shift how you think about things mm. and it does you know um, make you appreciate things on a different level of life absolutely well speaking of appreciating things the question i ask everyone to start off good humans podcast is what are you grateful for right now time man time when you've done over 18 years in custody uh, it, every single second, that 86,400 seconds every day, I worked out how much time we've got every single day to actually appreciate life. And for me, that, that's huge. Like just time, but I, I, I value it. So I don't just take it for granted. A lot of us, uh, we, we just cruise through life and we want more. Uh, subconsciously, you're thinking about these goals, dreams, oh, I want to be this, you know, pro surf or whatever it may be, but what are the actions that are matching up to it? So I make sure that I appreciate that time. What do you want, Jeff? Here's what I, I want to achieve out of life. And I go out intentionally every single day and every single second to make that happen. And I think that's something that I'm hugely grateful for, um, especially here in a cell door lock for 18 years. You, you appreciate every single breath and second you take every single day. Yeah, well, I can imagine the perspective wasn't always like that for you, obviously, with the life that you've been through. It's great to know that you're looking through that lens now and so appreciative of every second we have because um, it is very precious the time we live. Something I do want to quickly share with you is our sponsor, Drink a Rapper. You were having a quick look before I didn't let you open one. We're going to open one very quickly. So this is a neuroscience drink. These guys have been supporting the podcast for a long time. Love it. Mental health, obviously, is very important to me. As we're going to get through your story, I know it's very important to you too. And we know our brain health is extremely important for that. So these young guys in New Zealand used to work for an energy drink company and they were selling it to servos. And I kept seeing kids walking out with it. And I'm like, this is bullshit. Like, we don't want to be promoting and supporting poisoning basically people with energy drinks so he worked with a neuroscientist one of the leading in the world professor andrew scully he's been on this podcast developed a drink that scientifically is now proven to benefit your brain short-term performance long-term brain health um i'll read out what it says on the back so it says your brain is amazing and it's even more amazing when it's full of polyphenols vitamin c and antioxidants found in our clinically researched natural ingredients Developed by neuroscientists to help support cognitive performance and neurological brain function. A rapper is a drink for everyone with a brain. So, sound like you've got a brain? Bank. I'm going to give you... Love that. Grab this one here. This is a um, non-fizzy one. We've got a fizzy Cheers. and a non-fizzy. And um, yeah, hope you like black currant flavor. It's pretty strong, but it's delicious. And it's going to make your brain work better. Cheers. Mm. Honestly, that's good. That's really good. good. It's really tasty. It's like usually if you have something that's actually really healthy, it tastes like shit, but tastes delicious. Good for short-term brain performance, long-term brain health. That's good. Mm. And I'm huge on neuroscience. It's something that shaped a lot of my story. Wow. Yeah, obviously a young kid, um, my brain was formed in a specific way, running away at 12 years of age. And I think I look for every little – it's like Formula 1. I think life, and this is how – that conversation around your gratitude of time what am i appreciative of and something like this formula one they look for you know they were just a win that point one or whatever it is mm, to get 0.1 out of each lap and they end up you know a couple of, one second ahead of 
the, the car that comes second. And I think something like this um, is huge and I'm huge on neuroscience and how, it, you know, as I said, young kids shape myself survival into a habit which then become a ritual and that that just became my life and as you spoke about before it's just something i'd highly recommend to everybody when you get a chance to um, add these little one percenters into your life whether it's your foods the sunlight you're getting maybe it's the surf you go out for every single morning or the walk go out and appreciate it and appreciate the time you've got and make the most out of it based on what you want out of your life not us Mm -hmm. telling you how to live your life but if you're thinking it start practicing it and add these types of things into your life because they are valuable and if someone who's done neuroscience behind you know done a lot of stuff to get this out on the market and there's obviously a lot of research in the background to be approved and so forth and it tastes great honestly yeah it's the only um I think it's the only clinically proven in the Southern Hemisphere drink for neuroscience. Anyway, but yeah, they spent over $5 million in clinical wow. studies and it's been like research. They're with Dementia Australia now yep. to try and show that it's good for um, slowing down dementia and Alzheimer's and neurological diseases. So it's a magic potion. And yeah, like you said, if, I'm, you, I'm if you can get it, make sure you go grab some. Um, all the links are in the show notes. But let's get into your story now. Let's go. Let's rewind back to the beginning. Where were you born? Life as a kid. Yeah. Let's talk up until like your teen years. How was the family structure and life for you as a kid? Probably the biggest way I'll describe it, instable. A lot of um, toing and froing. Mother and father were sort of uh, in a tumultuous type of relationship where they yeah, probably had their struggles. I didn't know too much about it. I was too young. But I was with mum one moment, with father the next, babysitters here, there and everywhere. End up in some um, boarding homes because they couldn't afford me. And so there was just a lot of movement. I don't, schooling, I, I remember bits and pieces of different schools. Um, and that instability just made it, I suppose, hard for them, for me, for, you know, and I think that really shaped um, me in one way. I was very good in adaptability. So in being in an environment as a young kid, learning to adapt to that, uh, I suppose I learned from a very young age, hence why I was able to network. And But at the same time, it was just a lot of damage done, I think, as a young kid. And no, st- you know, everyone in any relationship, you want safety, security, and stability. Ask any female, you know, or each to their own. Uh, ask any person on the other side of that conversation and I'll tell you you know give me safety security and stability and I'll, I'll feel calm and be able to thrive in that environment and as a young kid I just was put into an environment um, where the parents yeah they were doing their best I suppose around what they had and it just went skew and uh, by the time I was about 10 I was on a street um, in suburban street in Sydney and I had both parents asking me who do you want to live with so even their nature of how they dealt with things and I've seen other families now and I'm like man I just did not get that there's no way I got that and, and yeah asking your parents uh, your parents asking you who do you want to live with and I'm like I want to live with both of you it was just mm. so that that summed up the whole relationship behind that and I think they just didn't have the skills to, to uh, deal with their emotions or their their whole life in general. And I was obviously a, an equation that came out of that. Yeah, it's unbroken, like broken families and those decisions that you get put on you as a kid, that must have been so difficult. Crap. I, I just, because you spoke about broken, we were just talking about your sleep, being down at this, yeah. uh, this conference, um, Humankind Conference. Uh, and I think... 
once you just anyone would understand is have one night of broken sleep do that for 10 years as, as your first 10 years as a kid or, or as a human and how grumpy and, and angry would you be in general i think that's something that if people understand it on that level and aspect they start to say wow that's what happens to a kid that's coming from a broken home and and they just don't have that saying they're tired, they're irritable, there was no food in the fridge constantly. We get to a Friday and it was payday and my father was up the TAB and I'd open the fridge and I remember my uncle come over and he said, where's the food? And he said, oh, um, you know, I, I've spent all the money. He goes, what do you mean you spent, didn't you get paid today? And that, yeah, he said, mate, I, I lost it all at gambling and literally had bread and water in the fridge. And he goes, oh, don't worry, I'll make something up with the bread and water. And, I just, you know, that in itself is huge, I think, and people don't understand the depth and concept of how much struggle that is. If you haven't had broken sleep, you're not eating properly. Um, I don't even know if I attended school every day, probably not, more than mm. likely, based around them two trying to do, you know, toing and froing between one another. And I think that's an important conversation for everyone to understand. Sometimes, us as humans are broken, whether we're kids, whether we've gone through relationship struggles, business struggles, life struggles, um, and how can we seek to understand to help one another be better humans? Mm. Uh, uh, because in the end, you know, uh, something that sticks with me on the back end of that conversation in general is love, kindness, empathy, and respect. Every time I walked out the door and walked back in, one thing I'm grateful for from my mother and grandmother was repeat those things mm. that's how you treat every other human and even if they come into the conversation nasty angry yeah not understanding a conversation don't sit there and throw anger back at them love kindness empathy and respect and i mean that's something that's helped shape me in a positive out of that whole conversation in general yeah, so it's it's so crazy, like the way that people are brought up we forget the disadvantage that so many start at it's like everyone's yeah. starting gets to school and expected to be at this same finish line, but we forget that everybody's starting at a different start line. Like something that empathy is a big thing I talk about at school, just to like take a moment to like think, I wonder what that person's going through. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people, a lot of the kids that I grew up with, we didn't even have breakfast. Mm. There was no food in the fridge at breakfast. So you just get to school and studies have shown those that aren't eating, obviously you're not fueling yourself, yeah. right? Obviously with the fasting side of things, but as a kid you're developing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, yeah, so it's just, yeah, and then the knock-on effect, what happens at focus, the next food? You can't, you can't yeah. focus. Then the next food usually going to come from some source of sugar mm. and all of a sudden not only can't you focus, now you've, you put yourself into this hypo mode and, yeah, it's just a whole bunch of crossover that isn't healthy for any human being in general. Mm. Um, there's, I don't know if you ever seen the video on social media where they line them all up on a, on a line have, yeah. and they say step forward if you haven't yeah, had yes. to worry about food or this, that, and the other. And these kids are like thirty meters ahead of other kids, and you're never going to win a race like that. But it means that you have to do a lot of catching up. And we just, if we seek to understand. We can actually bring people into an environment. They've still got skills. They've got great skills, whether it's resilience that I can teach people how to really step out of a situation that's really affected you on a mental health level. Uh, when you go through all of that hardness in life, you can step into anything and it's mm. easy. And a lot of people can't regulate their emotions or that emotional IQ and they'll step out of it and they'll go into this different direction of life. Mm. And I think it's 
Um, as humans, we can always share knowledge, one of the most important things, and allow ourselves to grow and be more harmonious um, together. Best thing, yeah. Uh, you could ever do for the human race get on with one another absolutely yeah it's crazy the way we're living now like where the world's potentially going with wars and stuff it's like it makes no sense it's like these people at the top are making decisions and then sending like millions of people to war that don't yeah. really like everyone just wants to get along it's just because people can't get it anyway i don't want to go down that i don't want to go <laughs> down that path but let's get back into your story so let's talk about teen years because i know this is probably the time where things started to take a a bit of a darker path for you. So let's yeah. talk about those teenage years. I was a good, like, as much as I had all that disruptiveness within my life, I was doing really well at school. I loved school. I loved learning. Uh, sport at school. Sport was really good at school. Got identified as a talent. Went down to Academy of Sport for soccer. The following year, went down for football, um, rugby league. So I had a huge talent towards sport. South were looking at me. South Sydney Rugby League were looking yeah, at me. I was 12, 12 years of age at the time. And I'm like, yeah, they were talking about it. And there was Rugby League Week, articles were coming out, next big thing, that sort of story. And you think to, and so Australian Soccer Weekly at the time. So I had huge potential, but just bouncing. I, and when I say bouncing, no sometimes our home, no structure. No routine. No routine. Mate, one week I'm in Walgut, next week I'm in Dubbo, next week I'm in Sydney, now I'm at Bondi. Mate, like it was honestly bouncing. But next minute I'm in a boarding home smashing on the window. So to get into the teenagers, by about 10 to 12, my dad um, was trying to really discipline me to – and it stuck with me. The discipline stuck with me. I'm grateful for that as well, you know, as much as I ran away from home because he was very physically abusive. His physical abuse was more to try and guide me in his eyes the right way. Uh, unfortunately, it was just um, too much for me. And at, at 12, hung jump out of a window. And those teenage years were spent uh, in, in a mode where I just went into survival. I was thinking about this today. And like all humans, right, it's funny, uh, attracted to in one way, shape, or form to money. And then I was literally thinking about it this morning. I was like, they're all attracted. But in the end, realistically, they're doing it for what? To survive mm. food, you bring your kids up, or whatever <clears throat> it is, right? And on the back end of that, if we can do it really well based around what we're good at, we can live the life that we want, pro surf or whatever it may be. And I think, um, you know, those teenagers just shaped me into this person where I was just in survival mode and all I wanted was warm, you know, roof over my head, warm bed, clothes and, and food. And by the time I was probably 16, four years of that, um, yeah, the life was shaped, the habit was there and it was, it was a normal part of my operating system. I just wake up and go out and commit a crime to make some money to survive in my head and that just rolled into now I, I got back into Redfern mum was living in Everly Street it was one of the most notorious streets at the time running riots with police police would get pulled out of cop cars they'd run up the street the community would burn the cop car it was just insane right like and that was so normal you become a product of your environment oh man like i didn't even see it as i look at it now it's crazy and i've got friends a good friend um that was an ex-police officer and he loves me to mate we've got so much time for one of gary jubin's podcasts um i catch the same thing like good conversations that 
they're all humans. Mm. And I broke it down. I was in, you know, once I looked at it as, oh, they're the government, they're the police. That was just our mentality. They're the enemy. Mm. And, and that's how I grew up learning and becoming a product of the government against us. And then I started to shift it and I started to think to myself, well, hey, wait, there must be another way to life. I mean, this is where humans, you know, that want to lose weight or start a business. They, Jen first comes, I'm going to lose this weight. They, Jen seventh rolls around and they're already back to their old ways. So that was me. I was that habit. And I'm not, I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying that I had great intentions to change, but my environment you're from bricks at cop cars. This person's burning down, you know, the car they, they get pulled out of. This person's just come back and committed crimes. They're selling drugs. They're, you know, taking drugs. And it was just, it was a, an environment where the, the growing potential was only around one direction, destructiveness to mm. me, to the community, to the external community. And, I, I, you know, I, it took me a long time when I started to see things and I was like, oh, I, this it doesn't sit good with me. Mm. Uh, you know, these people must have kids that were throwing bricks at cop cars. These people are doing, you know, how, how are we treating them? Uh, love, kindness, empathy, respect. And I was like, none of that's in that. My grandmother and mother would tell me every time I walked out the door at 88 Evelyn Street, how do you treat other humans? Then I'd throw a brick at a cop car. So that had no love in it. Yeah. And, and I had to shift my mentality to create a better reality and that started to change when I was probably about 16. So I consciously was thinking, I want to get out of this life. But it took a long time, yeah. So Huge. let's talk about how I guess school was probably pretty broken by the end, towards the end of high school. When did you like leave school and did you think you were going to go into any sort of career <laughs> after school or? No chance, man. My just career the was, life of crime was just... Yeah, that was... Didn't, and that, like, I didn't even think, this is the first time I've ever thought about this. A normal kid would be like, I want to be a pilot or whatever it is, pro surfer. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, how do I get money to make sure I'm okay tomorrow? And I think that's a, you know, 12 year old kid, have a look at you. Getting a job didn't come to the mindset of no, how to make money. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wasn't even thinking I should finish school. I was thinking yeah, yeah. I was, oh, better get through today. Yeah. That was probably my thought process. Maybe not getting shot by the police today. Maybe not getting caught. So I go to jail. That was my only thought process. And mm. so you and going back to that neuroscience conversation, I'm wired a particular way where my pathways were: how do I make money? I'm in survival mode. I'll do whatever it takes. But it's also from a destructive nature. Mm. And I didn't know the ex how to do you know work and so forth. And I was very lucky that. During one of our, when we were in um, Mount Penang, which is a boys' home in Sydney, uh, Gosford, about an hour and a half out of Sydney, I had some mates that were locked up at that time. They'd never really gotten in trouble. They assaulted someone, unfortunately, didn't turn out well. They were in custody. Um, they were uh, private school boys, and I hung around them. We did schooling. I did my year 10 at that point in time in that environment, and they were doing uni at the time, and, man, they were just... They had their, and to this day, I'm still great friends with them. I catch up on a regular basis, and um, that group has um, Nader Hamden in it amongst us, or who was a Australian boxing champion. Uh, and we were all in this environment where we we're just feeding off each other, saying, "Hey, there's got to be like I learn off them. I'd never seen that before. I hadn't been around people that had a normal way of life, and it, it just started to rub off me. Was so that was, at a juvie? 
Yeah, juvenile okay. justice. So it was about, I think I was about 14 to 17. And I say that, I think, because, man, those years were just like... A big scramble. How old are you now? I'm 49, 50 okay. this year. We're going to keep so. catching back up to that. <laughs> but let's... um. Let's talk about now post once you turn 18, once you can end up in um, a proper correctional facility or not yeah. a proper, but um, <clears throat> an adult correctional facility. When, How long after you were 18 did you end up in prison? Man, long story short, I was walking past someone at Mount Penang at the time. I was studying. I was doing well in custody. The bloke had come back from a visit or leave and he they suspected he had pot on him. As we walked past, he shook my hand. I took the pot. Um, well, and he walked, we kept walking and he had two officers with him. I got back to the unit. They must have searched him and realised they I, I got it off him in the handshake. Um, walked into the unit, they jumped me, he searched me and said, mate, you've got this on you. And um, if you don't say something against him, our mentality was don't say yeah, anything, don't you know, um, don't snitch. And off, off I went. I said, mate, it's mine. Got charged for it, didn't realise, went to court, and the judge gave me three months for a $20 stick. And I was like, whoa, whatever I'm doing. At that time, I was doing three years for snatching money off bank counters. This is where, as a 15-year-old kid, we snatch it, 15 or 14-year-old kid, snatching money off bank counters as a normal behaviour. It's insane, right? Talk me through that process. What, somebody's, like, putting a deposit and you'd run and grab it? Back then, they'd have, like, obviously now you just tap, but back then they'd have, you know, 30 grand sitting on the counter. And, and like, you look at it, being a business owner now, you you don't realise until you're in that spot. That could have been that person's last bit of money. And, like, they had kids and they had all these payments. They're going to shut my business if I don't make this payment or, like, it breaks my heart. It Mm. really does. But you don't, in that time... I'm just saying neurologically, yeah. neuroscience, the pathways survival, survival, survival. Uh, man, it's insane. Um, and, you know, I just look at it, you're snatching this money off the counter. And it, mind you, you're jumping across the person's body because you sort of look and you can sort of see over the top of them mm-hmm. or a little gap through. There's a, And then you just walk up and bundle them out the way, snatch the money, run out. Um, I'm doing three years for that. I take a wrap for this $20 pot. It gives me three months. And I said, ah, whatever. I tack it onto my sentence. And the bloke goes, mate, that's not three months in juvenile justice. You know that, don't you? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, mate, you're 18 now. He goes, that's a jail sentence. I go, are you joking? He goes, nah. He goes, you're going to Long Bay today, mate. I said, ah, funny, mate. I'm in Mount Penny. He goes, nah, mate. You're on a bus to Long Bay. So... Even this, this is the first time I've ever spoken about that. It was, oh, it blew me away because mm. one twenty dollar stick. Compared to that some time, of the other crimes you committed, that was oh like man, nothing. I was like, and I was thinking to myself as well. You've just sent me to jail for a twenty dollar stick, a young kid. Like, you want to? Oh, I just That's think the system's broken. Mm. Definitely to this point, to this day, we can do things differently get some people like myself that are are driven towards seeing other humans be better humans i think it's important because they do go back into society and if they go back out broken someone else's family might get broken from that Mm. and we might lose somebody and that's huge conversation let alone the money the insurance premiums like the list could go on and on and Mm. on your property being you know just 
your property is your property and I respect that now. Mate, someone could leave a phone, they could have a wallet full of hundreds and I'd hand it in to the police and if it was 3,000, the 3,000 would go back to them because I know the depth of that conversation. I've been in times where if I had that 3,000 in my wallet, maybe it was my last 3,000 that I was going to you know, um, invest in my business or myself. And I think that's, yeah, uh, you don't realise that until you start to build these new neurological pathways. So being around those people um, allowed me to do it and taking me from that environment to Long Bay at that time, it was one of the most violent prisons. So I get to Long Bay, my brothers tell me to make sure, you know, if anyone tries to ta- ask to try your shoes on, they're going to take them. So I knew all these Look what I was learning. Tricks, yeah. Someone's learning maths or, or geography or something of that nature. I'm learning how when you get the jar, someone asks to try your shoes on, make sure you respond the right way. And bloke, I had a nice pair of shoes on. I get to the reception part. We go to the clinic. He goes, mate, they're nice shoes. Can I try them on? I said, yeah, no problems. And uh, I like I bend down. I go, oh, my back's a bit sore. I reckon you can take them off. He goes, I'll get them off for you, brother. And I act out in the way that I acted out. Um, and that, you know, the officer finds him and says, what happened now? I said, oh, I think he's a bit sick and ill. And that's like, that That was a normal response that he's insanely violent and just down the wrong path for a kid that should be learning different values within life. And as I said, if we, this is what's happening within our system. That's and how you we rehabilitate rather than make, hey, them, make people worse in that environment around other people. Insane, because you've got. If I don't do that, then I'm going to be the the fish that gets eaten by the bigger shark, right? Mm. So, and that's what we're teaching people. And I think you know, just in life in general, when we share knowledge um, with humans, we want them to their lives to be enhanced. And I think mm. it's an important conversation. Seek to understand people. Because you'll be blown away by the drive, passion of people that have been through struggle and um, whether they've been through any form of resilience in any way, shape or form. And it doesn't matter whether you're a billionaire or a person from the streets, everyone's a human being in the end and we all feel an emotion attached to some form of trauma or response of what life deals out to us. And if we listen to one another, we can really grow within this life and live one that's enhanced based around the way that you'd love to live in. Yeah, it's like we did. Yeah, how do we change that system so it does facilitate that a bit more to young people? So let's go that 18 to say 25. I'm sure you're in and out a couple times. What was it like getting out the first time when you're still probably in your teen years? How long did it take you to, to end up back in prison? Um, good question. I remember. I know it's 30 uh, years ago. Yeah, no, yeah, it's quite a while ago. But uh, in general, I got out and I wasn't out long. I don't think I was maybe three months, six months. And I was in a stolen Porsche that got chased across the Harbour Bridge. We get caught. I jump in water at fish markets. Not a good idea because um, they d- dump a whole bunch of... Chum. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Probably have a few tiger sharks. I got fished out of that harbour and I served 12 months. Last... And then I lasted seven years, so I had a really good run on, on a crime level and built a real huge reputation in that world as a money maker. But to me, at that point in time, there's something significant as well. I think if someone had just got me at that point in time, I was so 16, I said I started to really think about it. 
18, I tried and tried and tried in custody. Questioned, is this the right way for me? Is there another way? All but that. nobody really showed you another way. And, and unfortunately, the system just had like, you might have 10 spaces for computers or business studies. And if you weren't someone that knew the education um, department, so there'd be a lot of people that would go to education that weren't, um, you know, fraud or something of that nature. They, they wanted to keep up their normal way of life. Um, us coming from a different world, we weren't really up the education centre, but I started to inject myself, you know, I was like, I'm going out there, put my name down. Unfortunately, I didn't get into the courses that I wanted to, and I was bounced between four different jars, which, you know, let's say it was three months of each other. What are you doing three months? Like, mm. You try and put your name down, the course doesn't start for six weeks, and all of a sudden, even if you start, you get you move before it finishes. Um and I remember the parole lady at Bathurst saying to me, what are you going to do when you get out? And I was like, what do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to do the same thing I, I'm geared to do. I said, mate, I've tried. I could show you all the lists that I put my name down on. I said, I haven't learned anything and I really wanted to. And I think that was, you know, just that, that transition, man, if we had something there, even if it's us kids going out um, and learning from some space, um, even if it's a protected space, they want to protect the community into a different space where people have, you know, 20 of us, 30 of us can get into this class. I would have flipped at that point. Mm. I was really at a good point to flip and then I just hadn't and I went, ah, stuff, I'll go back to what I know. Mm. And that just led to it. It was about seven years I was out at that point in time, made a huge lot, a lot of money and just was running. Crimes were just getting escalating. And and Gary's um, jubilant the uh, homicide detective said once you're robbing banks you, you're in a grade and you didn't i didn't think like that i was just thinking how could i do something where i didn't had a lot of money and i didn't have to do it often because yeah. i started to have a conscious around that could be my grandmother that could be my mother and I, it was, I had a weird conscious about the conscious of taking from the bank was better than taking from the individual. It was weird. You know, so I never broke into a house, snatched like a, a bag. Yeah, That's, yeah. So I even thought about like the background and conscious the, criminal. Oh, it was, it was <laughs> a weird, like a weird twisted mentality. I literally, like, they won't miss it. Even when I was stealing Porsches in my head, they've got enough money. They'll have the insurance on it. They'll be sweet. And, and that was just, and especially in Redfin, we had this huge running. And it did, it built a lot of, uh, I wouldn't say, I don't know, it could have been resentment, yeah. anger towards F you and F the world. You, you've you gone against our people and our community. Um, we'll, we'll do anything and everything we want and stuff the world. Mm. And that was our mentality and it was just twisted. It, it, it did nothing for the community um, but bring, you know, a lot of, uh, bring, bring a reputation. Cab drivers wouldn't even drop us off. No one would come into the area. Mm. It was just, uh, um, and it, it, to the point where I had an opportunity despite having a lot of money. Hey, Jeff, do you want to buy this property? 1,000 square metres, 180 grand back then. And I was like, who would I want to buy here? Um, it's now become a very trendy area. Uh, I would have, it would have been worth millions, like yeah. literally, but that that whole thing just wires you a particular way that you shouldn't be wired that mm. way. And we just brush it aside. And we do. We think, uh, who cares? Let the police look after it. I think as human beings, when we sit with people, trust me when I tell people this, if you can sit with the kid, even if he doesn't seem like he's listening, he'll take maybe one thing on and you've got to think of it like a tree. 
you plant the seed and the trees nurtured over a long period of time. Just it won't happen in five minutes. Mm-hmm. But if we we've got to sit in front of these people and and not just on a, that level, but on a life level, mental health, same thing, right? Huge. Plant a seed. The person's so foggy at that point in time, they won't be apply be able to apply one thing. Say the breath work as an example, and they'll be like, "Yeah, yeah, all right, thanks for that," you know. Um, but they won't actually apply it into their life because they're just too foggy at that moment. But it's then the exposure, then somebody else tells them, and then somebody else, and they go, "Maybe I will try." It. Three people now, and just the right timing. Mm. You know, one day they're on a beach, and they go. Stuff I'm going to try this breath work and yeah. off they go. So it's it's making sure the conversations are getting in right in front of the right people. And I think a lot of people have conversations of convenience. How's your day? Mm. Good. What have you been up to? Not much. What are you? Yeah. What are you doing later? Oh, I'm not sure. If we have clarity and vision around our own vision, purpose, and why to life, we'll have real direction. And that direction, then you can share with people. And as I said, yeah, as as a young kid, I take that off you. I'd say, oh, that's great what he did. Well, I was pro surfing, and pe- oh, yeah, people get this mentality pro surfer, I, I can't learn nothing off you. What was the discipline behind it? As mm. one lesson, what was the commitment to yourself on that? Like, how and how was your brain shaped and formed in that way? And how can I replicate that and take that into my own life? And that's where we can really then prosper towards a strong, I call it an invincible mindset. A lot of people say that's impossible. But the invincible mindset mentality, and this is how I explain it, it's more about being able to get hit constantly because life will, death, taxes, just life itself, we're going to come at you and it's going to come hard. And if we're not prepared for it, what will happen is you get hit, you lay down and you isolate rather than elevate. Mm. If we can pause for a moment and say, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this lesson. What's the lesson from the experience? And allow myself to grow and prosper from life. Then I've turned a real negative into a positive. And even if you're crawling, you're not stopping. And all of a sudden, mm. you've got what I call an invincible mindset. Yeah, I love that. It's like I believe the definition of good mental health is your ability to bounce back from those difficult times, exactly oh, the way you described it. And I also like to use this sort of metaphor of like imagine life's got this spectrum of good mental health and mental illness. We're all on it and we fluctuate. But life is almost like a treadmill and it's slowly always trying to bring us back towards mental illness. Love that. And that's completely fine as long as just like exercise, all these things that we need to do to maintain good health, good mental health, we need to have different skills to walk against that treadmill and maintain walking against it. Sometimes we have to run. Sometimes it's barely moving and we're fine. But eventually when those hard times happen, they get thrown at us, that speeds up. So it's like how can we make sure that it doesn't speed up or at least how can we walk against it when it does speed up? Love that. Uh, great analogy. I'll, I'll definitely use that. Yeah, As, you know, we've spoken about sharing knowledge. I think that's a huge one. Yeah, you get on a treadmill. If you get on without water and you have an intention of doing an hour run, as an example, or even walk or towel, you're sweating everywhere and you're like, oh, I should have brought a towel. Mm. If we prep ourselves for life, we have this invincible mindset. What, what do I need in this environment? And the best, when I say, what do you need in this environment? If I go out to the ocean and I'm not equipped to deal with specific things, maybe it's my first time out on a surfboard, 
all of a sudden I'm in some trouble. Mm. I don't know how to rips work or, or whatever it may be. I get out there. I haven't got the board attached to me properly. I'm chasing mm. the board out in the ocean. The rip takes me out all of a sudden and, I, and I'm in some trouble. That's because we just went into something blind. Mm. And that's what I did as a kid. I just went into life blind. I went in saying, I'm going to survive. Yeah. And by the time I started to get into the rip, it was just pulling me in one direction and that direction was destructive and, and to everything and everyone in that circle. Mm. No, man, it's, um, it's really cool to see where you are now sitting here and so happy and vibrant and sharing these great stories, but we're up to about your mid-20s. Yeah. We're going to catch back up to now. So mid-20s, you've done a few years where you've been avoiding getting um, caught for quite some time, sure. building a bit of confidence probably in your ability Huge. to avoid being caught. Um, what was the last crime? What caught you? As much as you're willing to share. Yeah, um, nah. I think, and this is huge for everybody. Um, once you let your um, self down and and be authentic with yourself, most importantly, you, you just don't care what other people think. And I, I own every bit of who I was. Take ownership for it. Accountability for it. Um, I'm not here to blame the world or anything. I I just realised I was shaped at points and times for reasons, but. Um, I got caught, I got undone when I was, um, I'd say 26, I think I was, might have been younger, 24, 26-ish. I got done, I'd been out seven years, so I would have been 25 actually. So 25, I got caught robbing a bank um, that I wasn't meant to be um, a part of. Uh, Crazily enough, someone said to me, can you come and... Um, give us some ideas about it. I said, yeah, sweet, I'll tell you what to do. And we'll, we'll kick, give you a kick out of it. We'll give you 10% out of it. I was like, yeah, sweet, I'm all in. I told them the their partner was ringing me, can you please go with them? I'm nervous. Firstly, no. So is it like the movies, like scope oh, everything out for a bit before? This crew the, wasn't no. the crew I normally ran with and all of that. So it, I was a consultant almost, yeah. to, like if you put it in the business world sense. And... He, their partners ring me. One, she say, "Hey Jeff, a female at that point in time should not have known my name and give me a fake name, anything, yeah, real yeah. blogs." Um, but anyway, long story short, uh, she's like, "Help, help, help!" I'd been charged before. I'd been charged a few times during. I'd beat all those trials. As you said, my confidence was sky high. Please. Because you were doing crimes and you had money would you use that money to get good lawyers through this time oh or man just get for sure yeah. and we were paying big money like at that point in time say 100 grand to get go through this trial and like it's just insane yeah. but a kid imagine give me 100 grand now I'll put it towards a business idea same principle right i was making all this money but i had no business skills yeah so i was going on just knickknacks yeah. like just stuff that had no purpose towards life and in one crazily um, way, shape, or form, I'm probably happy about that mm. because I'm glad that I, I didn't benefit from um, you know the hurt that I dished out to people in, on yeah. the back end. Uh, and I had to rebuild everything later down the track, as you hear about with the business. But in general, um, I'd beaten these trials. I think I went to two or three um, sort of other robbery-type trials, bank robbery-type things, and um, got off those. Some chest was high and I was really well known and um, run a consultancy sort of role in this bank robbery and I ended up going um, into the bank robbery. The charge before that, I'd walked out of the house in these clothes. 
they'd taken photos. Then I had a balaclava on, but with all the same clothes on. Um, they uh, and basically um, got went through this trial, uh, and they said so. The person that they saw and the clothes sort of didn't match up the same. They were similar, but not the same. I got off that trial. Um, then I went into this next one. I said, well, you know, I've, I've learned from that process. What I'm not going to do is walk out every in the same clothes that I'd wear in something, um, even though that person wasn't me in that last robbery. The, I got charged for another one where I had big lips and curly hair. <laughs> and I was bold at the time. I was like, mate, I think you got the wrong person. So... Um, Long story short, we get in and I run in the bank with the same clothes on um, and I, you know, that I'd left the house in. They'd taken photos that day. They were, there was constant surveillance on myself. They were charging me, so I'd report the police every single day for about five years. Wow. Yeah, and like just imagine the mental health behind that. And Oh, I the think paranoia of being caught, oh, man, always watching over your shoulders. My old ladies were. I know what you're up to, old lady. I know you're following me, and she's probably doing a shop <laughs> at the local shop. That's how paranoid you get, and you just get to this point where you wouldn't talk. You would jump in the water to talk and go into it. You know, like it was just crazy mentality. And just so much stress. You look at the back end of that, the mental health. But I, what I was just thinking about then, imagine like all that stress, but you're still stuck in survival mode in your head. And it's mm. because the stress here is making you foggy not to be able to say, see it clear away. And it was just little snippets, as I said, people coming in, hey, Jeff, mm. here's how I conduct. Maybe it's even how they spoke to me, how they conducted themselves, how good their business was going. I was saying, how did, what's he doing? What's she doing? What? How did they conduct themselves? And I was learning from that. Um, I run in the bank. We we do this robbery. We run out. Uh, I go to go out, and the managers are standing in the vault at the vault door. And I said, "Mate, you got two choices: move out of the way, or you know, it's not going to end nice." They move out of the way. Get back to the car. The car won't start. They didn't put petrol in the car. Screw it. Oh, I I slapped the driver on the back of the house. Are you joking? Oh, there's no petrol in the car, mate. We take off, we get we get a distance and we would have got away with the bank. Um, three people got out of the car and got away and we um, uh, unfortunately stayed in the car and we went a distance a little further down the road um, and unfortunately from that um, he was speeding we were talking to the other bloke in the back and I turned around and said, mate, slow down. It's sweet. We're out of the zone. Don't speak. And next thing I, I see a highway patrol go past, flip a U-turn and long story short, end up in a chase and just didn't end well in five years. Um, we got a five-year sentence at 25, so got out when I was about 30. Wow. How was that stint in prison? Different to your 18-year-old stint? A bit older, yeah. a bit more mature. And it was really hectic. There was a lot was of race, race wars at the time. Yeah, I was about to say because... Yeah, let's talk about your Indigenous culture a little bit. How yeah. did um, that sit with prison and stuff and how did that shape you to be sort of the man who you are, do you think? Yeah, I think, like, it's sad to say, and this is something I'm huge on at the moment, draw a line in the sand project um, I'm developing and that's more about, hey, we've got to take ownership for ourselves. We we control our own journey no matter what's happened to our past mm. and, and, and there's, there's a lot of factual stuff that we can tap into, Australian wars, anyone 
um, hasn't watched Australian Wars, please go and watch it. Um, historians, archaeologists now share Australia's true history and there's no arguing behind that. But that gives us, um, as I said, that's an external and that's something I can't control. People will either want to watch that and say, I don't care what you say, Jeff, or, hey, I'd love to know a bit more about Australia's history. Go out and go, wow, that was so destructive. But we can't sit in that because same thing as Redfern, we were sitting in like this hate and resentment towards the past and everything of that nature. Um, you go to Redfern now, you can walk down there, people walk down there, we're back in the community, people are working now. It's just because we, we've we realised there's a better way to deal with things than throwing a brick at a police car and burning mm-hmm. it. So... Um, I think that that's uh, huge for us as a community, but also me as an individual. Mm. And at that point in time, you know, uh, it was a badge of honour to go to jail as an Aboriginal man. And I think now you still have that mentality. My uncle's there, my brother's there, my cousin's there. There's no fear of it. Mm. I'll, I'll be looked after when I get there. And yeah, that's going to be a question. Like going into prison, did you feel scared for your life or you mm. felt fine because you had friends and cousins and both brothers were there. both brothers were at long bay when i got there so oh, i was when i was 18 and i had that pot charge um and long story short i don't know what happened i don't this is how foggy that it yeah it, i don't think i served the three months at long bay i think after a month juvenile justice because they had a overriding sentence already i went they claim me back. So one day I was just walking in the yard and they go, Morgan, I was like, yeah, he goes, mate, you're going back to juvenile justice. Let's go. Wow. And I was like, I couldn't tell you how, whether it was one week, one month, three months. Might have served the three. I, I can't even remember. That's, That's how. It's a long time ago. Yeah, but you just have no fear. And as I said, I'd learned that story. So when I was at the medical center, I was like, I'm going to mess this bloke up. I'm going to take my shoes. And that was the mentality. And... My brothers are going to have my back tomorrow morning when I get out in the yard. They'll be here somewhere or they'll know them. And they were, they were just as crazy as I was. So um, as much as I had that nice mentality, if, you, if I got on the dark side, I was also in survival mode. And my survival mode was on the streets. And, I, you know, I say to people, if someone come up and started attacking you, there's a great um, video on YouTube. Uh, it's called um, How Bad Do You Want It? And it's a bloke doing a push-up as a little fun now. And there's a little story about, uh, you know, someone he looked up to or mentor and he starts drowning him at the beach. He's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? He goes, when you want something bad as much as you want to breathe, um, you do whatever it takes. And I think that's where I was as a young kid growing up. I was just in this mentality. If you got in my way in any way, shape or form, I was going to make it happen. I was lucky enough to keep that, but master it where I harnessed it and said, well, let's take that into business and let's take mm. that into life and let's take those skills into helping people see a better way to life. Yeah. Uh, and when we say a better way to life, we get comfortable. We really do. And we mm. accept what, which is good. Always live in gratitude, right? But so many people have so much more. So many people have mm. think so much more. Mm. I want to be a pro surf. How many people did you know that thought it? but never actioned it. It's like you can either go through life or you can grow through life. Yet most of us are just happily going through life, learn something, and then don't go along with it. It's like, how can you keep leveling up? Because the doubt's built, right? Yeah. On every another level, there's always another devil you kind of always have to keep facing and expanding that. your comfort zone. So the more that we can expect that and accept it, 
and then we can yeah continue to move that's forward. that invincible mindset mentality because yeah. it is coming mm. and it, whether you have parents whether you don't really tapping into your conscious self as to what intentions do you take into the next second that i operate and i'm talking when i like i could go to the level and talk to those that we used to talk to within our own race about things that were happening in jail and the conversations had to be brutal and honest and straightforward and like ready to go to war with your own kind at that point in time because if we don't sort this we're going to have to go in and someone might not come out of it as mm-hmm. a conversation and I still take that same mentality into life but the way I see it your mental health you know someone's going to suffer on a mental health level and they'll check out and we had a friend two weeks ago check out on a Saturday that was in our network who was bubbly you know vibrant gorgeous and I think it's just sad that we let you know as we can just be better as human beings to one another and we mm. can sit down and, and really listen to these conversations. And it doesn't take much, man. It really doesn't. But we just have conversations of convenience as your day. Mm. Let's get deeper than that. Uh, and when we catch up with people and, and talk about stuff of, you know, the intentions that you're thinking about within your head, those goals, dreams, aspirations, let's unpack it together mm. And move forward in life, and and we'll see a totally different way of growing through life rather than just going through life, as you said. Yeah, I'm so excited to catch up this next ten years until you get to probably the last ten years of this mindset. Yeah. So let's talk about getting out of prison around thirty years old. Yeah. What's that next? Is it the start? Back to the same Back thing? The same another thing. 30, same, 40, same mindset? Same crew. Yeah. Same. We had the same crew since we were young kids. Went through ram raids, bank snatches, into bank robberies. Um, and the allegations we did them across Australia. We now arrested in Melbourne for um, a bank robbery Friday the thirteenth, um, and yeah, I always remember that as being just a turning point. It was Friday. So you, how long were you out for when you were thirty? Six months. You're only out for six months. Six months after five years, man, and, and you're like, we can do it better. Petrol in the car, I would have been good. Uh, it was just, it was just yeah. To me, I just went, what am I doing? And I, I did break down when I was more in the cells, uh, and I've never spoken about this. Um, there was times where, because of, it was called a yellow submarine, it was shaped like a submarine, the lights would stay on the whole time, so you'd be under these sheets to get some darkness. And I literally was crying, thinking, my son and daughter are out there, and that's how you show up as a dad. How old were you when you had your children in um, that five-year oh, no, gap? They were, no, they were um, when I was 22. Yeah, 20, that's what I mean, that five-year out of prison. Yeah, so, and I, you know, um, they lived an awesome life because I had the money. With, mate, Versace, as an example, just opened at the time. We'd come up and spend two weeks in the condominiums and, look, the, the money, didn't miss the money or anything like that. And I was thinking I was being a great father and what I learned over time, and this is like life, we think we're going through life the right way, and we think this is what life has to offer. But I was like, okay. now I started to say, how can I do that same? If that's what the way you want to live, how could you still replicate that, but not obviously in a, in a destructive mm. manner? And it's like all kids really want is love and nurture, ah, and not man. money and, and flashy I, things. But I didn't get it, yeah, you know. Exactly. And, I mean, I bought, I'd buy all these flashy things for my daughter as an example, and she played with the box, you know, put a hole in the box and look through the her little cubby house, and I'm like. Well, I spent 300 bucks on it in my yeah, head. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. You're playing with a box 
and it started to really shift me and I think crying under those blankets and I, I think I cried nearly every night, man. I was just like, man. In that 5 to 25 to 30 period. And then it, and then I've told this story where I came back after the trial, during the trial and said to my co-accused, I need you to come to court with me. There's four blokes. These four bottles represent those blokes. One bloke who was a heavy drug user but had a great reputation in that world came with our crew um, and he said, mate, yeah, what do you want me to say? The other two who were really core of this group um, both said, yeah, what this, I'm not messing myself up for you. I'll ring my solicitor and I'll find out and get back to you. I was like, that's why I'm giving my loyalty up. My kids are out there and, you know, I just, I just knew there was a better way to life. Mm. Why does somebody else drive that car? Why does somebody else have that life? I think that to me is... Um, where I started to transition, I was like, if they can do it, why can't you do it? You're mm. one of the most determined people I've ever met. You have this invincible mindset where you'll keep getting hit and I kept moving forward. And even when I was in jail then doing these longer sentences, you want to sit here and just talk shit to each other to be straight out and mm. honest. And that's what happens. Like, I did this, I did that. Yeah, I did. And it encrypted because you don't want to get someone wearing a wine obviously then yeah. getting a reduced sentence and getting out early so you're just having these conversations of convenience i've spoken about i was like nah stuff that i want to get more out of these business studies computers mm. myob any course and every mental health anger management conflict i was signing up to everything so this was in that 30 to 35 yeah period. man so i'd already done that in that five year sentence and I was starting. Oh, this was a 25 to 30? Yes. Oh, so, so you did start. So in the first couple months, you tried to sign up for something and they didn't let you. But then once you did your five years, you did a few courses, yeah, 25 man, to 30. I had a lot more stability. And it was probably the first time I had stability in my life, strangely enough. And then you got out, but six months later, another robbery. Yeah, six months later, I'll come out. I had great intentions at that point in time. I'm trying to think. I'd come home. I started to work for the first time ever. Wow. Mate got me a job as um, packing in a warehouse, um, and mate, I was making, I was on huge money uh, for a normal way of life, right? Mm. And they and they knew my background. They said, mate, we'll give you two and a half grand a week after clear. Mm. We want massive money. He said, but what we're going to do? We're going to get rid of the staff if you can handle it. You and his nephew said, we'll do it, man. Yes, we'll run with that. If not, we're going to bring staff and we're going to reduce your pay. Sweet, no worries, mate. We handled it. It wasn't a problem. We were loving it. Had the music on, and just the old ways, man. Like I was like, oh, this is great money, but you know, I've got to pay tax, and I've got to. And the old thought process was crossing over, mm. and it's like anything. I want to lose weight, and then oh, that that yeah, you know, burger tastes good. Habits nice are a lot harder to keep than back bad habits. Yeah, I so I'd started at sixteen thinking about it, and this is that conversation we're talking about neuroscience. I was building. Some sort of new, I've seen a great thing. It's actually up on my Insta story today. And there's two pathways. They're trying to find one another. They're, you know, there's little things reaching and all of a sudden they connect. And I think I was trying, but they hadn't connected yet. Mm. And we were close. Um, but I was crossing over between work and robbing banks. And I was doing it in a way where I'd have a day off or whatever it was. Um, and doing, you know, in the afternoons after. And it was just, mate, it ended up in disaster down in Melbourne, bang, and um, seven years later. So, yeah, that was your 
How was that robbery? What went wrong there? Was that a Friday the thirteenth? Oh, yeah, <laughs> probably 13th. the first one. <laughs> and you come up, my co accused goes, Do you know the date? And I was like, No, and he goes, It's Friday the thirteenth. I was like, Are you joking? And yeah. we were in the car at that time. A lot of um we were already under surveillance. So long story short, the bloke that was on drugs, he was under surveillance, committing a lot of in their words, um, crimes. They'd put him under surveillance. He'd gone to Melbourne, they'd pass that information to Melbourne. They'd lost us though or they'd lost the, the van at the top point in time. They didn't know we were checked into, but they went rang around to hotels and they hit our hotel and they said, we've got a bloke from Sydney, but he, he, yeah, he seems to be okay. Here's his license and they rent, sent it back to him and they said, that's not James Ramutra. Um, I still remember the name because of the trial and that was it. They put surveillance on us. They took a video of us on the you know day and I'd changed um, – before the robbery and that's what sort of sunk me basically it I was a sahara desert type view you couldn't see who it was but what that person did he'd taken his jumper off and thrown it in the car that jumper was the same jumper i wore at the hotel uh, so and it was one of 50 that was ever made by nautica at the time or the sga type clothing mm. and um it was a very rare style of jacket and like the assumption was i was in the car um but at one stage at um turak i'd got out and i said oh, i went shopping i needed them to say yeah he jumped out he didn't know what we we're doing that was the intentions but it just never went down like that and long story short um yeah it done me a favor it's real twisted. how much money we like would be stolen in a bank robbery like that yeah, like that one, I think it was 250000 Uh We sledgehammered the safe open. Um, in general, it depends on uh, on the type of bank. And, mm. and What about the one before where you got into the vault? Um, same thing. I didn't go, like, I was a consultant. Yeah. So yeah, I went in, yeah. I went in the, after, like, almost whilst it was in. And I was meant, I was sitting with the golfer. Yeah. It was just a oh, whole. The whole, yeah, it was, uh, the whole thing was just twisted. Weirdly, well, I was about to say with this last one, but even that one, I think it was, I don't know, someone was looking at me saying, mate, go in and, and fix yourself. Mm. Go in and, and you know, as you can take something and go, oh, what far out I got caught, why me and all of that. Yeah. But I was like, you know, maybe this is an opportunity and that, that those seconds I spoke about at the start yeah. of this podcast, that's what I was doing. I was making the most of those seconds and um, once, you know, that – they watched us look at another bank. They set up at that bank. We looked at two banks, they said. Um, they set up at that bank. We robbed this bank. They realised and they, they're trying to get to the bank and we were leaving the bank. We get chased by a surveillance officer and um, yeah, they pretty much said that they saw us running in and out of the bank, which was definitely a load of um, boom. Mm. <laughs> but we were we had balaclavas on well before we even pulled up. So... And they did, they only captured us at the last moment. Anyway, that's the, yeah. the, the ideal to it all was, you know, same thing, tried to get a squeeze our way out of it. And funnily enough, the long story behind that, I, I think I'm grateful that I was caught that day. Mm. And I served that seven years because it was where my life, the whole life flipped at that point in time. Went into um, segregation because a mobile phone was found that they had been using, the same people that wouldn't come to court for me um took the phone out when they shouldn't have taken it out i ended up in um segregation when i come out bump into a professor he says mate you look like a smart guy and the rest is history man i say yeah i'm up for a uni course and 
we got to one particular, I went to Barwon at that time, and the most notorious jail down there at um, the moment in Victoria. And, you know, that was just, I think that was, uh, you had computers in your cell, you could do your uni studies, uh, and you could do a whole heap of courses, and it was unlimited. You could have 30 people in the class, and it shifted me. That if, if I had got that when I was you know, at 18, I would have shifted. So what changed in the system? That so is it like that at most of the prisons now, no, or no. that was just one that's really focusing on that's your, giving people the best chance once they leave with a bit of education, with a bit more direction. Like they just had a Victorian system had a totally different mentality to Sydney, where Sydney's lock them up for a way of the key, and you can see at the moment the gang violence down in Sydney, the violence, the crimes. Mm. So, you know, people getting their teeth pulled out for ransom the other day with with a crime. Like, uh-huh. that is insane versus Melbourne where, and, and you know, obviously Melbourne has, still has its crime and so forth. But you have Barwon, you had these gangland killers, you had these um, gangs that were going out and doing stuff, and yet in amongst that you had us studying. Mm. And, and we had a good network of people, some of those people, um, for, you know, I won't mention who they were, but they've been charged for some of most, Australia's most notorious crimes. And um, you're sitting with these people and they're studying and you see a different way to them. Whereas when you read about them, they're a psychopath, so mm. and so. And yeah, they might have that, ten- like I sit with someone and go, fire out, man, this bloke's twisted it myself. But then there's some of them and you go, fire if this person had an opportunity and we, we kept doing this to them, they'd shift. Mm. I just, and I kind of, you know, the energy in any room when you walk in, you know, maybe at a pro surfing tournament where you've won and people are genuine in our oh, great work mm. or, versus people that go, oh, stuff him, I wish I won or something yeah, of that yeah. nature. It's a different energy, right? And, and some people just built that way, each to their own because of the way that they've grown up. Um, but in general, for me, it was very important to to be able to just see people and see us operating at a different level in an environment maximum security of Victoria's prisons um, with a computer in the cell, you know, bunkering down every night, getting into your studies, different way of life. So let's talk about when you got out that last, is that, was that the last time you were Yeah, that was the last time. So about 37, 38? Uh, 36, I I think 36 at the time. So I would have been 29 when I got locked up, actually. What changed once you got out that time to change direction? I know it would be difficult getting job, being able to assimilate back into the real world. Mm. And I'm sure that was probably some of the reasons why through your 20s you ended up back in there. Absolutely. Let's um, talk about that assimilation to the world because I can imagine finding a job's really difficult and now you own your own business. I'm sure that was probably the path that was easiest, even though it's hard to start our own business, probably yeah. just as difficult to find solid work once you have um, a criminal record. Absolutely. So yeah, let's talk about that this next ten, last 10 years, what you've been up to, how mm. you've the path you've taken and, yeah, some of the things you've been doing. I think I, I, I realised that the record thing was going to be an issue. So mm. I started to say, how can you empower yourself? What could you do and what are you good at? What do you like doing? We trained all our lives in there, whatever. And when I was in that five-year sentence back end of it, I'd always been what they call an E2 prison. So you went only to maximum security jails. And they came to me and said, Jeff, put in an application to to." overturn your E2, we're going to give you a go at a C classification. I was like, are you serious? And they're like, yeah, really? So I got into this mentality, just go beast mode and get in there and chest out and you want to mess with me, I'm all good, I'll go to the end. And when they came to me and said that, I, I dropped it all. And I went to C and I 
you know, didn't even care what people thought. I didn't want to fight anyone. I didn't care about. And I, I was always someone that tried, I tried to make the environment as stress free as possible. Even when I was in maximum, what's the point of us all fighting? We like, mm. we all just want to, you know get out and not stress as much every day you got to walk out in battle mode fight or flight there ain't no you know you ain't no fight you just got to fight so your nervous system was constantly mm. at its highest degree and i just wanted to live outside of that um when i finished that five-year sentence they pushed me into a set like give me the opportunity to see i went out on works release and i did my certificates around personal training and it was when they first started get it, getting the certificates up and running. So I was like, I'm going to do that. Um, and then I did a whole heap of courses around that, everything and anything around nutrition or anything of that nature. Um, so when I, the seven years where I, obviously I studied nutrition at uni during that seven years, just tied hand in hand. I said, I'm going to become a trainer. Um, and a little, I bumped into um someone who became best friend justin ashley who owns one playground which was previously fitness playground one of the um, youngest entrepreneurs in this country around fitness and made his mindset was at a different level and i think it just not think i know it just rubbed off on me and i was already at a level where i was all, always operating at my best given it everything i had anything i went into uh, and it was just a good crossover and, and the business took off within three months my wife at the time huge story um uh, behind that, she said, it's hard to be a trainer. You won't make much out of that. There's so many. And I said, well, watch me. Mm. And in my head, and I came out and within three months, fully booked out and just loved it, man. It, it, seeing, I felt like I was giving back to the community too. I'd done so much to smash up the community um, through my own actions. And it was just a good way to get individuals to see a that they had more in them mm. and their health, their wealth, their mindset. And that transition, yeah, I recognised so many clients. We were built, the questions I was asking wasn't, you know, do you know how to train, do you know how to eat properly? It was more than a, how are you built? Because I was that person. What's mm. in the background? What got you to this point? And that really forms a huge part of our program now that we sort of identify and sat down and, and something I'm forever grateful for. Yeah, I think it's um important note. Obviously, this podcast called Good Humans Podcast, and you get someone who's been in prison for a while, people might have that connotation and mindset, but I'm all about people who can turn their life around and not let their upbringing, their circumstances, and the bad decisions they've made take over their future. And it's really cool to see where you're going now. So let's talk about your program that you've just recently put something out, haven't you? Yeah. Um, Similar so- to yourself, I think we were talking about it before, you know, going down this pathway. Obviously, I was a trainer, 216, brother commits suicide, 219. So I started to think to myself, I'm going to have some time off and think about what I wanted to do. I'd done a whole heap of talks, 87 talks in one year. Wow. And I thought to myself, same thing. speaking. Yeah, and it was everything from corporates to schools to health services to mm. it was all over the place and there was no structure to it because i was doing so i had a tv show within two years of coming home jeffrey's healthy tips that's how much i transitioned in that short period of time and i think i, you know, I had this belief at that point um where i just went i'm anything i put my mind to i'm going to achieve and um, and i went down that path and i was relentless and and um, so was that like right when you kind of got out your brother took his life uh, no, I'd been like home been six years at that okay. point in time. I was I was very stable, on, secure. Yeah. But I was sort of at same, and we were talking about this before, I don't feel like I was a man yet. I, like 
I'd made a decision to change my life. And to be a part of oh, my community is Walbert, so I'm a proud uh, Camilleroy man. That's my hometown. But I grew up in Redfern. I go to the um, Eora meeting, which is the local land council, uh, Aboriginal land council, and I say I want to be a member of Redfern's community, recognised member. I said, anyone got a question? Someone said, oh, why did it take you so long, you know, to come and be a part of this community? Because I was always a part of the community. What, what, yeah, I said I felt like I had to earn it. I felt like I had to go out of being the boy who was uneducated, making bad choices into the man. And even then, when I thought I was, I wasn't. I was still caught in some toxic behaviours in the background. Whether it's around, you know, how I treated women by sleeping around and not being true to my partner or something of that nature. And, and I literally got to a point where, you know, I was fixing one thing at a time and I was saying, I can be a better person, man. For me, and for me, the reality is everyone wants you to be to better make the decision for yourself, themselves, you know, and organically, I, I don't affect you, my partner, Sal, um, you know, my dog, now that yeah. these things are huge to me. And, and then the wider circle outside your inner circle. And I think that to me was very important that the wider community was feeling um, the energy that I was putting out to the world. And mm. I, I honestly can say that I felt I only became a man when I got with my current partner, Sal, um, because I had made toxic decisions behind that validation that I never got as a kid from my parents mm. to be loved and cared for. And I went, you're at a, such a good level of life. Why is this stress coming back into your life? What's happening in the background? And to me, I was like, it's your, it's you. You're the person in charge of you. Mm. The internal versus you're the external. It's not your fault that I'm, you know, hey, Jeff, great work. You got that girl. You got that blonde in there. You got that other girl. And mm. that That's... Whether my mates cheered me on, in the end, I made the decision. And, and until I did that and said, you know, I've got to stop that behaviour, that was my last bit I felt where I really let go of the old life. Mm. And it's just been stress-free, man. I love that. Yeah. And now you co- what's your program now? Yeah, so we it's called, we started out, we've got the lifestyle program, and that's yeah. basically healthy lifestyle, right? Same principles, we use seven we identified seven um, principles of life around your relationships, financials, things of that, your mental health, your mindset. Um, and then we built everything around that. Everything that I was uh, and we don't want to be, it all, it's all transferable in life. Are you unmotivated? Are you not getting the most out of your life based on your own words? Are you? My word wasn't my bond to my partner as an example. Uh, yeah, I'm preaching, uh, hey, let's show up for yourself, the integrity, the honesty behind that. I had the discipline, as I said, from my father, but let's... Values-based living. Man, morals, values and beliefs were shot. They were all over the place. I made them suit me. And we do as humans, when it's right for us, we'll enable ourselves. Oh, yeah, but she done this to me or he done that to me. So I had to take the ownership and say, stop blaming everybody else. What are you doing? So our programs... And then we had the Cut the Bullshit program, which is... Draw a line in the sand. Doesn't matter what path you've been down. You don't have to go into jail. You might have um, you might have cheated on your partner, and you've carried that for a long time. You might have not spoken to someone well, and then they've checked out of the planet, and you carry that for the rest of your life. You might have had projections from other people into your life that you didn't want within your life. 
How can you draw a line in the sand and learn lessons from that so you grow and prosper? And that's a huge difference. And people live in a lot of comfort or they'll say, I've learned to deal with this destructiveness just like I did as a kid. Learn to deal with it. Down. You know, I'll get arrested, well, whatever. I'll just deal with this sentence now. Hopefully I'll try and lie to the judge and get a shorter sentence. Same thing, my values, morals and beliefs is all over the shot. I'm lying, I'm deceptive, and oh yeah, you give me a three-month sentence, beautiful, I'll be back out on the streets. We do the same thing in life. We lie to ourselves or deceive other people or deceive ourselves more importantly around what we truly want out of life and how we can be authentic. And until I, I manned up and, and stood up, I didn't create that cut the bullshit because that was at a turning point. I said, I cut the bullshit out of my own life. I mm. really did, and I wouldn't accept any behaviours that were just unacceptable towards me. Mm. And organically, Sal, my dog, you, any person I come in contact with, I feel true and authentic to myself. And the funniest thing behind all that, the deception that I projected to the world, if you spoke to anyone, they would have said, that bloke's an unbelievable human before Mm. two years ago. But I deceived the whole world. And I I own that. Mm. And until we do that, we'll live in it and we'll be comfortable in that. And whether it's... You don't have to have a million dollars, but if you're not living your own true, authentic life for yourself around your goals, dreams, aspirations, your values, morals, and beliefs, making sure that you show up for whatever you want to get out of this life, what's important to yourself and identifying that, Mm. um, you will live a substandard life based around what you want. And that's what we do. We bring awareness to that situation, say, here's what you want. Here's where it is. Here's what you're telling me you want. Let's bridge that gap in between together and we'll keep you accountable in that process. And we'll make sure that if we see the values, morals and beliefs that aren't there, we're going to have that conversation with that person and I'm just going to be straight out and honest in a way that um, helps them grow, not in a way that pushes them down. Mm-hmm. Into- Which is hard nowadays. It's very hard to find honest friends around you to call you out on your bullshit, to call you on your downfalls. Like As much as we need to call ourselves, it's very tough when the people around us aren't calling us out too i'm very lucky i've got friends around me who do and a partner who will let me know like hey just to let you know like you're always on your phone when i'm trying to talk to you and you don't actually listen i'm like i feel like i've got the maturity now which i wouldn't have three years ago i would have been like oh no i had an excuse whereas i was like actually you're right it's probably something i can improve on and try and improve on it which takes a lot it sounds like your program is really helping people identify those mismatches between what they're saying they want to do and what they're actually doing and if you do anything in that nature how do you feel how do you honestly feel when you let's say it was you know get being a healthy lifestyle i'll go for a walk tomorrow as an example and then you don't do it you sit at home going oh no i want to go for that walk then you don't fit into clothing for wedding as an example oh Oh, I've got to lose this weight and it stacks on and layer upon layer yeah, then your mental health comes yeah. with it then guess what someone tells you and you can't even take it you're like oh you're having a go at me because yeah. our ego gets in the way of us actually shifting and changing and once we step up and take that ownership cut the bullshit and yeah. be able to put it in a way where sales are always the same I'm huge on business I'm like constant on my phone and I've learned and I'm still learning I'd say on that yeah, level yeah. where I have to be present and aware in the moment because that's what we teach and where we get to a space and I say hey and I tell her put you put my phone in the bag and she like uh, the smile on her face to me is beautiful mm-hmm. because that means she knows I'm going to be there for her in that space 
Um, and sometimes I just have to remind you, oh, she, you know, we're, we're meant to be here to mm. see this beautiful on a hike and it's about being aware and maybe mm. seeing an eagle fly over that is my totem or something mm. of that nature or kookaburra that reminds me of my brother that came back as a spirit. To me, that that presence is, is something that's lost quite a lot because we are on our phones, we are constantly and why are we doing it if it's for validation like like view 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 something i've never done i I just don't care if i have five people that follow me but they love and they've leveled up in life i'll be super happy Mm. um whereas getting into the side of things of business i'm one of those operators where i'll try and operate at the highest level which means i'm very constant with it but at the same time you know that's a lesson for everybody listen to the other person on the other side um, and, you know, if someone had listened to that young kid, they would have got me at 16, I reckon. Mm. It would have shifted me. Seek to understand the situation, even if you've grown up totally different to the people. Put yourself in that environment for five minutes and say, oh, man, let me teach you some stuff that you, mm. you haven't seen. You know, as a trainer, you come into the gym, if someone's new to the gym, like, what do I do with this dumbbell? How do I lift it? Oh, let's have a look at a video. So be able to teach people something and that could be whether it's business life skills or anything like morals values beliefs how you treat women as men you know or or female female um it's important for us to understand other people and Mm. be good humans and that's i I think that's oh yeah my mother and grandmother ring in the back of me and I, i really relate to your podcast because love empathy kindness and respect is is something that's huge behind um, humankind. I've seen a sign in Port Macquarie. We uh-huh. play touch football there, and there's signs everywhere. Humankind, be both. Mm. It says, and I'm like, whoa. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I was like, I'm stealing that. I would steal that too. Yeah. Well, I should say, I'm stealing that. I don't want to know police knocking on my door, but <laughs> no, like, on a serious, how beautiful is it? Mm. Be, you know, be, be kind, both. be human, and it doesn't take much. Man. Yeah, I love that, man. Well, dude, thank you so much for sharing the story. It's been incredible to hear the journey that you've been through, like the stages of your life and the different seasons that you've been through. But most of all, this last chapter of realisation that there's more to life than the upbringing and getting out of that victim mindset of the upbringing I had has shaped me to be who I am. This is my only way for survival. Learning at, um, learning in prison, taking that step and that last in to really upskill and try and create a life that is um, a bit more of a path of positivity once you get out. And, yeah, it's been really cool getting to know your story. But I do finish every Good Humans podcast with the same question I'm going to ask you as well. So yeah. what does being a good human mean to Jeffrey Morgan? Uh, Jeffrey, is that wrong? Yeah, Jeffrey no, Morgan. Jeffrey Morgan. Je- Morgan. 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 Being able to be your best version of yourself. We always hear that. And what that does organically, it slides onto somebody else. How do we do that? And my my grandmother taught me something um, huge, and I'll, I'll teach everyone the back end of this. I'm a young kid, destructive as hell. We're sitting at the top of every street. She's about to die from a um, illness. She, you know, she turns to me and says, son, you're not, you don't look happy. And I said, you know, you're about to die. And she, I just feel sad that you're not going to be on earth anymore and something of that nature. Uh, and she turns to me and says, son, I'll always be here. And I said, how do you figure that? She goes, I've shared every bit of knowledge I had with yourself. You're going to carry that out to the world. And then that's going to enhance somebody else's life. And I think that's how we can be good humans. Just 
live for yourself as the most authentic version. Sit down and align yourself. What's your ideal life like? Create that roadmap framework to that life. Practice it every single day. Have that invincible mindset I've spoken about. Understand you're going to get hit side on and sometimes more than you want it to be. But if you can just continuously keep crawling, moving, like the treadmill analogy, where it's not going to stop, it's going to keep moving. You're not going to jump off and give up Um, because the only time you fail in life is when you actually jump off that treadmill and it stops moving forward. As long as you, even if it's at speed 0.1 on that treadmill and it's still moving and your legs are moving, that's the most important thing. Share that knowledge and share what you acquire to the world because that's a free gift that allows us to be great humans to one another. Mm. And I think that's probably the the greatest one that my grandmother taught me and I'll share with everybody on this podcast. Please share that to the world. Whatever you learn, pass it on in your spirit will forever walk this planet. And for me, that was like something so powerful and you know it sort of makes me emotional that Mm. my grandmother sits amongst all that fogginess and destruction and as much as i don't remember dates and years that lesson Lesson. that that she taught me is now passed on to hopefully yourselves to practice um to your inner circle and and outer circle to to enhance life man and we can all the best race on this planet um is a human race when we all get on and that knowledge sharing but principle allows us to step into a different way of life absolutely man well thank you so much for sharing that story i'm sure your grandma's looking down on you really happy with um sharing that message on and i'm guessing it comes quite a bit from indigenous culture of storytelling and dream time the importance of passing these things on and that's how we yeah continue to evolve the human race so thank you so much for sharing your story mate it's been an absolute pleasure thanks for jumping on good humans podcast legend cheers bro champion 